is going on, everybody? Welcome back. We are on another episode of the Blake Benz Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about some news that is in the news. It's the news of Apple shutting down iTunes, and as we know, they probably aren't going to just totally cut it out completely, but will repurpose it into something else. And I saw this news story and was really just surprised and shocked to even know that iTunes is still uh, operating in any form whatsoever. Uh, before we get into this news story, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, my name is Blake Benz, and I'm the CEO of a coaching company called Good Advice. And on this podcast, we talk about a wide array of things from business to leadership to marketing and sales. And today, we're going to be talking about innovation and entrepreneurship. I'm excited to talk about today's uh, episode topic of Apple iTunes, not because I am just a total Android fanboy, but when we look at Apple iTunes, you kind of get surprised that it's really existed as long as it has today. In fact, I was so enthused by this topic that I even wrote out a longer story about this topic. I put kind of my thoughts to paper. And if you're on LinkedIn or you're with me on Facebook, you can check out that article. It's going to be similar to the name of this episode. It's the death of iTunes shows even the pros can get it wrong. And that's our topic of discussion today. It's probably the longest article I've written in quite a while. Um, it's it's. I try to keep things short and sweet, but as I was thinking about this topic, I just I couldn't help but uh, really have a handful of different things I wanted to talk about. And if you're not really familiar with uh, iTunes in general, it's it's the. I, it probably wouldn't be fair to call it the music platform of Apple because up to this point, what's happened is they have really morphed it into sort of this multimedia platform that a lot of people are pretty, uh, some people use it, other people don't use it. Really, the only people who use it actively are iPhone uh, iPhone customers, people who already have an iPhone. It's the default program to play music and uh, I'm not really sure what else. I guess you have movies and TV shows on there as well. Uh, it really is kind of a multimedia or rather a it's it's across uh, many, many different media formats in terms of the types of content that are on there. Now, I don't want to do a deep dive on the history of iTunes other than the fact that what's really interesting about Apple's story here is in, in so they're a $1 trillion company and Really, they, they were around all the way through the 80s and 90s and, and really didn't, there really wasn't a lot of traction there. I mean, they had sort of their all-in-one computer that really took off and you saw Dell emulate that model for the computer. And if you're not familiar with all-in-one, it's basically you have just the computer screen and everything is in the box of the computer screen rather than having to have like a tower, have all these cores, what have you. You have just this all-in-one thing. Uh, that was pretty convenient for the customers. But that didn't really do much for their brand other than that was kind of their their flagship, their, their Apple computer. Well, in 2001, they released the iPod, which uh, would go on to be a competitor in the MP3 player space. And what was so crazy about the iPod, I remember getting my iPod and it was kind of like this, I mean, at the time you wouldn't think of it as bulky, but it was like this bulky black uh, rectangular case. And if you're a listener, if you if you uh, had an iPod, I challenge you to go back and try to find it. I still have mine. We have this. I don't know why we still have this, but it's lasted somehow twenty years. 
but I, I still have it in the case that I bought to protect it with. And, and what was so transformative about this item was we actually, at the time, you know, you, you had the, the way people kept track of their music was they had that big black sleeve, you know, that soft case that you had all these CDs in. And so you'd flip through the pages of sleeves and you'd find the CD that you wanted to listen to. And if you wanted to go to a different artist, well, you'd have to eject that disc and go to the next disc. Or, you know, you had some cars that had like the, I don't know, like six to 10 CD holder, uh, you know, the case for it or not the case, like the player. And so what would happen would be if you got done with CD number one, maybe you knew that CD number two, the two button would go to the next CD you want to listen to. And so you could just press that button and go to the track that you wanted to. And so they had ways that would get around you having to eject the disc. Well, when the iPod came out, it was like totally transformative. It was like, whoa, what is this thing? Like I have all of my music in one place it's in one spot. I just have to spin the dial, you know, that little circle dial. I have to spin and just find my song and or find the the artist that I want to listen to or go to that that perfect album. And it was really ingenious in terms of being this really awesome item. Well, what's interesting about this is on one hand, you have a product that is so incredible and transformative for the music industry. But on the other hand, you have this platform in the form of iTunes that is so clunky and so unintuitive and so unenjoyable to use that actually I'm surprised it's taken 20 years for it to die. You know, really in hindsight, as we look at it, we're kind of like, yeah, like, why wouldn't they be moving on from it? But at the time, you know, it's kind of all we had. You had this program, this platform iTunes, and you know, you, what you would do is you would get on there. And the cool thing was you didn't have to buy a whole album. You could buy just a song. It was 99 cents. And so you'd buy this song and then you would sync it to your your iPod. And, and part of the clunkiness of it was it was hard sometimes to, you know, did I sync it or did I not sync it? Or, you know, you couldn't sync on someone else's computer. It could only be on your computer. And, you know, if something happened to your computer, if it got a lot of like spyware and you had to like wipe the computer, well, then when you reinstalled iTunes, you had to reclaim your account. And you had a limited number of, of claimings for, because they only let you put your account on a certain number of computers. So you could be on the same computer, but be using up that that limited number of, of reclaim, whatever that feature was called. And so over time, you could eventually, theoretically, you could actually lose access to your whole account, the music you bought on iTunes. So it wasn't very customer friendly. Flash forward several years into the future, 2007, you have the iPhone come out, and now the iPhone has totally transformed. Because at the time, you know, you had your iPod in one pocket, you had the iPhone in the other. Well, now they've transformed the industry even further where you have everything right there on your phone. It's also part of the reason why some really awful products didn't end up panning out. You know, things like the Zune. Uh, things like whatever other MP3 players there were. And what's funny is there's this really great interview with Chris Ballmer, who at the time was the, I think he was the CEO of Microsoft. And they were asking him about why did they get beat by Apple so badly? And he said, well, honestly, we looked at the iPhone, which at the time was selling like for like 600 bucks or 500 bucks. And he said, no one's going to pay that. No one's going to buy that. So our products are safe. Nothing's going to happen to them. Well, as we know, it was like crack cocaine and people went crazy for the iPhone. You had people camping out. And for years to come, they would go on to camp out for every new generation of the product. So you even have this other incredible invention by this company in the form of the iPhone that today is the majority 
uh, phone model in the phone space. And even, I guess, I guess even the music space, actually, in terms of like devices you use. I mean, I don't think anyone, I don't even know what's an active product today that is just, just for the purpose of music. I think everyone uses it on their phone. Well, around the same time that the iPhone was coming out, there was this other company that came, that started as well and it came out with its own product. And it was a company called Spotify. You may have heard of it. They have 200 million plus users worldwide. Half of them pay for the premium, uh, the premium, uh, what's it called, uh, subscription model for the company. And if you aren't an active user of Spotify, you've probably used it at some point. And you have to really understand how strange Spotify was at the time when it first came out. In fact, when it first came out, there had been some other companies that were competitors. There were other companies that were that had sought to do what Spotify had done, but had gone out of business or had been like sued or been, you know, the the uh, Department of Justice had gone after them. So like so like one example of this would be Napster or Kazaa, and these were file sharing services where you could search for any song and it would download to your computer, and then you could play it whenever you wanted to. Well, you you know, legally you don't own that file. And so these companies ended up going out of business and they were hosted on like, you know, other countries on like these remote servers. And, you know, they're basically were trying to avoid the law as long as possible. Well, when Spotify came out, it was like, okay, is the same thing going to happen to Spotify that happened to Napster? And it was, it was different because instead of downloading songs, it would let you stream songs. And the thing that was so strange about this was there already was another streaming service called Pandora, where on Pandora, you could also stream music, but the catch there, the catch on Pandora was you couldn't choose the song you wanted to play. Instead, what would happen was you would choose one song that you really liked, and then it would make this radio station for you where it would run this algorithm, and it would find all these other songs that were like the song that you like, and it would be constantly, re- it would be refining this algorithm by asking, you know, do you like this song? Would you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Do you want to skip this song? But it wouldn't let you skip, you know, multiple times. You only had a certain number of skips, and I think they still have that today. But so Spotify comes out, and it's streaming just like Pandora, except I can choose exactly whatever song I want. I can make my own playlists. I can literally play whatever I want, and on my iPhone, I can I can literally stream it anywhere I want at any time. And this thing was totally transformative. It was like, where did this company come from? In fact, I think they first launched, I think in the UK, because I remember I had an issue with my account when I first got an account on it, because I was like, I got to check this thing out. And they were so small back then, it was like UK operating hours or something. And so it was such a pain just to try to get in touch with someone to figure out what was going on with my account. Well, the irony here is that Spotify would not have been able to exist if it had not lined up with the timing of the release of the iPhone. Because if you can't, you know, I guess the, the only option really to stream would have been back then, it would have been on your computer because you, you couldn't stream on like, you know, a flip phone. Well, what's ironic about this is Apple created the means for a major competitor to kill iTunes. And I'm not saying necessarily that Spotify killed iTunes, but, but it kind of did. Because I remember when Spotify came out in 2008, it was like, why would I ever use iTunes again? Why would I pay 99 cents for a song if I can just literally pick whatever song I want and listen to it whenever I want? Like why? I mean, so there's like, there's a 30 second ad, big deal, right? 
And so it was kind of like, why would I ever use this this program or platform instead of just you know instead of just uh, doing whatever I want for free? And I'm gonna I want to break this down just a little bit because there is, and I'm trying to think about how to, how to be fair about this. iTunes dying. It it is a good example of how even the pros can get it wrong. Even they can make mistakes. Apple hedged its bets on iTunes and they tried to evolve it and innovate it to try to make it work. And ultimately it did not work. It just didn't pan out. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we wrap up this episode here in a little bit. But on the other hand, there's really no excuse for it to have died because you have a trillion dollar at the time, you know, it was a multi-million dollar company. You have a million dollar plus business that has so many resources. They obviously have quite the the finger on the pulse of the phone and uh, music industry, you know, for them to have two straight products that are just phenomenal for, uh, for the industry in general. So they obviously have their finger on the pulse. I think what's interesting is, is, is asking the question, why didn't they beat Spotify to Spotify's answer before Spotify ever came out with it? You know, I mean, think about this. It's 2001. They come out with the iPod. Maybe a couple of years go by, and I don't know how long the iPhone was in development. Let's just say five years. You know, at the same time that they're developing the iPhone, why wasn't there this other team that said, you know what, we're going to, here's here's a main feature of this phone. No one's going to be able to compete with us. We have this main feature of this phone. What if we transformed our iTunes service to be like a Spotify without knowing what Spotify is? And take the, you know, the iTunes platform, innovate it and take it to the next level. Why don't we do that? And obviously hindsight's 50-50. We don't, we don't know what conversations happen behind closed doors. But I think sometimes the reason that companies don't innovate in that way is because it sometimes it's counter-cultural or it's, it's counter to the business model of the business. So like the perfect analogy of this, and we've beat this analogy to death, but it's it's unfortunate that Blockbuster's legacy is being such a great example of what not to do, but it's really just the perfect example. You have Blockbuster and a Netflix. Why didn't Blockbuster create Netflix before Netflix ever did? Well, the reason it didn't do that is because you have a business, this titan of a business, whose main revenue model is built on late fees. And then you enter this new player, this nobody company, worth nothing, that essentially says you can rent items as long as you want, no late fees, we just won't send you a new one until you send it back to us, but keep it keep it as long as you want. You can keep it for six months if you want, you know? I mean, keep it for however long you want and then just return it whenever you're ready. Well, to do something like that, you would have to get rid of a major part of Blockbuster's model, the late fees. And I'm willing to bet there were some really smart people in the room who said, and you know, in the Blockbuster executive team meeting who said, who came up with some idea like this, and I'm willing to bet that person was laughed out of the room. I'm willing to bet there was an executive who maybe, and I, for whatever reason, I envision this like very egocentric, pompous person who's like, you know, you want to get rid of our biggest revenue generator? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Are you, are you insane? And you know what? I think a similar conversation probably happened in Ford or, or some other big automaker. You know, the whole concept of Uber is it's this ride-sharing app that really it, it exploded in growth. Why didn't Ford come up with the Uber idea before Uber did? You know? 
Why didn't Toyota come up with the Uber idea before Uber? Well, the reason they didn't is because the main part of their business model is we sell cars. So why would we pivot away from selling cars? Well, you have probably a better insight on the industry than anyone else. You know, with your resources and size, you probably could have created a version of Uber long before Uber ever did. But see, companies, they don't pivot in this way because, again, it's extremely risky and it's sometimes it's countercultural to what they've always done for a living. And there's a great excerpt from the book, Good to Great. And it's, it's, I can't remember the story. I can't remember the details because I'm just now thinking at the top of my head. But it's basically this company that I think they own like these paper mills and to do like magazines or in-print stuff. And they had, I think, this other part of their business and basically realized that the paper mills weren't going to pan out long term. And they said, you know what? We've done paper mills for hundreds and hundreds of years. Or it makes it sound like they've been around for a thousand years. We've done paper mills for decades. But if we're going to be competitive into the future, we can't rely on the paper mills anymore. And so the CEO, he has this this totally uh, infamous line of sell the mills. He tells the staff, tells the company, sell all the mills. We're not going to use them moving forward and totally pivots the company, realizing that if we're going to be competitive into the future, we have to be willing to let go of what's made us successful up to this point today. I think that happened a little bit with Apple and that you have a cash cow in the form of iTunes. People are paying for every song. You know, you're you're in some cases you're paying less for an album. I think the I think an album was $9.99. I think it was $9.99. And that would happen even if the album was like 12 or 13 tracks. And so you could get more tracks, you'd get more for your your dollars and cents than you would going to like a actual you know, record store, or a music store and buying the actual handheld disc. And so they had this cash cow of people who were buying albums through iTunes. Well, why would I pivot away from that? It's working for me. Well, the reason we pivot away from it is that, you know, 20 years later, now it's out of business. Now, this this isn't always a worthy topic of discussion because some products, they are built with the intentionality of a shelf life. You know, it's like we had this service that was extremely profitable for maybe a decade and then it kind of, you know, barely survived for a decade after that. Did it pay for itself? Probably. Was it successful during its time? Sure. You know, not every product has to, you know, have this enduring legacy where it lasts. And that's just my own bias of whatever I, you know, create. I'm trying to create something long term that's actually, you know, has a long term meaning to it. But beyond just the mistakes that Apple made, I think what's also worthy to think about, and I mentioned this just a little bit earlier, is that even the pros are going to make mistakes, and that means that you're going to make mistakes too, especially in your entrepreneurial journey, especially as you, you know, maybe you run a startup, maybe you're starting something in the future, maybe right now you just have a little bit of a side hustle. You know, you're trying to build something and it's tiny, it's small. You have maybe one customer. Maybe you're looking for the first customer. Maybe you have something really large that you've built like a multi-million dollar uh, legacy, or I say legacy, company in your industry. And you're trying to build this legacy long term by actually growing it and scaling it and protecting it. Wherever you are, mistakes are guaranteed. And that's kind of like a dang it. It's like, dang it. Is it really? You know, is are you telling me I have to make mistakes? And it's like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to, because here's here's what I know. I'm not. I, I try not to be arrogant. I feel like I'm pretty smart when it comes to business. 
I am nowhere near as smart as the people who are running Apple or the people who are running Google or the people who are, you know, running Amazon, any of these major companies. I'm nowhere near as smart as those people. I haven't built a billion dollar business. And so if those people can make mistakes in running their business, good gracious, I'm guaranteed to screw up my business in some form. And it's not something to be super cynical about. It's not something to be pessimistic about. It's not like, oh, dang it. You know, what have I, you know, it's, it's nothing to be bummed out about. It's just that it's, it's, of course, mistakes are going to happen. The trick is to guard yourself from significant failure by being, you know, it's, it's the expression fail often, but fail cheaply. You know, I'm not going to put, if I have 15 grand to devote into the near future of my business, I'm not going to put 14 grand into one decision. I'm going to disperse those decisions into smaller decisions so I can see what's the right decision moving forward. But a lot of people don't operate that way. I was talking to someone who they said they had 15 grand and they wanted to put, it was something like 11 grand into some truck, you know, and it's a delivery business. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I get that you need the truck, but could you not, could you not buy a cheaper truck and fix it up? And it's like, well, you know, it's going to be four grand to brand the truck. And I was like, well, just getting started, do you need a branded truck? And so there's all these things that, you know, we have to be mindful of when it comes to protecting ourselves from knocking us out whenever we make that mistake. There's a few other things that you can do for your business that will help you long term. And I put this in my article on LinkedIn. Again, you got to check it out. But there's a few other things that you can think about. The first one is you have to create something that passes the mom test. And I've talked about this before, but then I had a friend of mine share a book with me last week and I found it, he sent it to me on Amazon. It's a book called Passing the Mom Test and I love it. You got to check out this book. It's really, really good. And it does a great job of articulating some things that I've been saying about business. It calls it the mom test because... Essentially, if you're going to pitch an idea to your mom, of course, she's going to be the one to say, oh, it's a great idea. You know, honey, you should do that. You know, yeah, honey, you can do that. I believe in you. You know, it's the same thing when you pitch an idea to your friends and family. You go to your best friend, man, what do you think about this? Oh, it's a great idea. Why do they say it's a great idea? Because they love you. They want to see you successful. They want to be a positive influence in your life. It's people who are, they, they want to see you overcome and be successful. So of course, they're going to tell you, yes, go do that. But what happens is you have a lot of entrepreneurs who they pursue really bad ideas because someone who loves them told them, yes, you should go do that. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be suspicious the next time someone you love encourages you. The thing is, though, if you're going to validate your business idea, the only person whose opinion matters to you is the person who's going to buy the product. That's the only person who matters. And it amazes me how many people get opinions from everyone else but their future customers. It's like a guy reached out to me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, would you buy this? And he had this new, this new entrepreneurship idea, basically. And I had, he had already had like a working website and I looked at it and he said, you know, what do you think? Would you buy this? And I said, well, I mean, am I your target customer? And he goes, no, no, you're not. But, but I just want to know what you, what do you think? And I said, you know what, man, frankly, it doesn't really matter what I think. And he was like, well, why not? I said, cause I'm not the one buying your product, you know? Now, if, if this was for me, then yeah, 
I think this would be, you know, here, here's my thoughts on it, but it's not for me. So therefore, my opinion doesn't matter. It makes me think of a friend of mine told a really great story. We do this meetup group with entrepreneurs who are local to the area and what's part of this larger group that I've put together. And it's got like 250 people who are in this group and people kind of randomly email me through it. And some people come to these events and some people don't and some people are just lurkers. And one of the guys who always comes, he's a marketer and a really great marketer and I really love his perspective. We were talking and he said he got some bad feedback from a a person who said they didn't like his marketing. They didn't like his product. And I said, what are you going to do about it? You know, are you going to change your product based on this person's feedback? And he goes, no. And I go, why not? He's like, because that's not my target customer. You know, that's a, that's a, and he, he went into the details of like his target clientele is between the ages of 25 and 38. And he has it all the way down to like, uh, you know, male and female and, you know, what locations in the United States they are. And this was like a 65 year old person living in Toronto who wasn't even in the U.S. And he's like, I don't care what that person thinks. That's not someone who I'm trying to sell to. I only care about my potential customers. So for you, you want to create something that actually can pass the mom test. The second thing is you need a good business model that can actually take risks. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, and it's, it's kind of actually even funny to me because I don't know if it's like personal bias. I don't know if it's like an incredible insight or if I'm just saying something really stupid, but it works for some people. I am not a fan of low margin businesses. I'm not a fan of businesses where that difference between your revenue and your and your actual uh, uh, expenses are like you know that 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 margin is so tiny where you're barely making any money. I'm not a fan of those kind of businesses. Now, can they work long term? I don't know. Sure, I guess so. But for me, anything that I'm throwing myself into, I'm looking for high margin businesses. And the reason for that is because when you have the breadth of space that comes from actually making significant money on every sale, it's not so that you can be rich and now it's like, woohoo, my business works, look at me. It's because one, it protects you from mistakes. You know, okay, we we made a costly error here, i.e. we see that in Apple. You know, they made a mistake with iTunes, but it didn't knock them out. They're fine. But so it protects you from mistakes, but also it lets you be able to reinvest that into new avenues and new innovations for your business. So as you're growing, or let's say even going back to the other side of it, if you're just launching your business, you want something that has a business model that actually works. When I say business model, it's like the definition of your business. How does it operate? What are we selling? And what are we bringing in what, what kind of uh, revenue are we bringing in per sale? Or actually even going one step farther, how much profit am I making on every sale? That's important. Most people, they operate low profit businesses or rather low margin businesses and they just kind of throw up their hands and they say, well, that's just the nature of the business. Instead of being aggressive and realizing, no, there's probably something you can solve here, right? It's like I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago and he he had some he has some kind of uh, business where the customer pays him fifty dollars, and we were talking about his business, and he said, "Yeah, but there's an issue of cash flow where really I have to spend this money to get them set up with some kind of IT company or a, a website company." And he said, I have to spend this money just to get them set up. So really, I don't make money off them until like month three or month four. And I said, he said, that's just the nature of the business. And I said, well, instead of thinking of it as it's just the nature of the business, is there a way that you can change what you're offering where you can get an injection of cash right from the get-go? 
You know, maybe they pay, maybe they pay something like uh, the first three months up front. And so now you're not operating at a loss from that. Cause he was saying he can't scale because the, the thing, the bottleneck keeping him from scaling is he has all of this money he has to spend in acquiring new customers. So rather than thinking, oh, that's just how my business model is, it's how can I fix that? How can I solve that? And the exciting thing was he called me a few days later and he said, dude, I've solved it. I figured it out. I'm so excited. I have found a way to acquire new customers at this price point and only pay something like half of that. Exciting stuff. And this is somebody who is going to be able to innovate his business and grow his business because he's protecting the margins of his business. The last piece of advice I have for you, and this is probably the biggest thing for you to think about, if you're trying to create a successful business, you have to think about the customers first. What's in their best interest? And what's really funny to me, I was talking to a guy yesterday. I'm, I'm a really extroverted person, so I feel like I get like totally lost in the weeds of like, I'm sure you're listening thinking like, how many people do you talk to? I talk to people all the time. I was talking to a guy yesterday and he said, you know, I, it feels like doing what's best for the customer and making lots of money should not be in, in, they should not be exclusive to one another. And I said, you're exactly right. They shouldn't be. You can actually take care of your customers first and profit immensely. And in fact, why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't you make money for delivering great value and quality of service to your customers? You know, it's why do you have to be, and I especially see this in the nonprofit world, why do you have to be a martyr for the service you're providing? You can, you can profit off of that. And it's not, again, because you're Scrooge McDuck. It's so that your influence, your impact can actually be greater. Well, it sounds pretty obvious that you would put the customers first, but when I look back at those companies who made mistakes, the reason Blockbuster didn't make it long-term was they did not like getting rid of late fees. Well, who, do, who does late fees hurt? It's not them. It's not the executive. It's the customers. We're willing to put this strain on the customers because it makes us a lot of money long-term. Put the customers first, and you will protect the long-term vision of your company. So having said all that, I'm interested to see how Apple will repurpose the iTunes platform in some way. It's not the first platform to be totally killed. It won't be the last one. I saw that Google Plus. Uh, you may not even be aware of what Google Plus is, but Google Plus is going away or maybe it's already gone away. I don't know. Same problem as iTunes, totally clunky. So much stuff that nobody even wanted. Uh, so that's another example, though, of another large, great company that continues to uh, try to innovate, but makes mistakes along the way. You're going to make mistakes for your business. Hang in there. Keep after it. Fail cheaply. But most of all, know that the reverse is also true. Not only are you going to make mistakes just like these big companies, but you have the ability to do some really great things just like these great companies. Some of these companies no one's ever heard of, no one's ever heard of until random, you know, some random person came up with the idea. I mean, who was Steve Jobs before Apple, right? I mean, who was Elon Musk before PayPal? You know, these people created something that caught on fire. Before that, they were just average person. You know, the average, they're just a nobody, right? Just doing business. The same could be true for you. You could be building something that you have no idea how big, wide, explosive this thing could be or at least how large, how much larger it could go 
beyond what your expectations are. It doesn't mean you have to have a national brand, but you could have a brand that's actually far more profitable and impactful than you ever thought possible. So hang in there, stay optimistic, and keep after it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the mistakes. Keep going. And yeah, let's see what we create together. Having said that, if you enjoyed this episode, as always, you can reach me, Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. I do stay active on LinkedIn, email, Facebook, Instagram, the whole shebang. So please feel free to follow me on those platforms. Uh, Also, I have a, if you like this kind of content, if you're not on my newsletter, I got a newsletter that goes out every Friday, literally every single Friday. I've never missed a Friday yet, knock on wood. And there's always some good insights, some good content in there. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Uh, Get on that newsletter if you aren't on it yet. And there's also uh, some other ways you can stay engaged with me that I'll be keeping you in the loop on as we go forward. Got an awesome next episode coming up. We got some new equipment coming in to prepare for an interview with my good friend, Kerry Lingenfelter. He is a total rock star. He's a phenomenal person and a good friend of mine. I think you're going to enjoy that episode. Stay tuned for that one. It'll be happening sometime later this week, and hopefully I'll get it up for the week's over. And I think you're going to enjoy that one. As always, thanks for listening, thanks for the support, and I will catch you later. See ya.